what a Gavaldiga story, what a Gavaldiga story this is. Okay, listen carefully to the story, because this is an amazing story. Okay, this is a true story. Okay, and it comes from this week's Haftoya. Haftoya? The Haftorah is over here. Uh, it's uh, right at the end of the Haftorah, Perik Tess, the show. The Possek says like this. Okay, listen carefully. It's a Gavaldi Gazach. The Possek says, Kiyele Yuda Lonu Ben, Nita Lonu Vatiyah Misual Shechmoy, Vayikushmoy Pele Yoyitz Al Gibor Avi Ad Sar Sholem, Lemarba Mishul Sholem Ein Kates Al Kisei David, Vaal Mamlachtu Lahochino So Ulisado Bamishpot Ubitzedoka. Now you'll hear that in after this week, and now hopefully you'll have a bit more of a different meaning. You're talking about the mishpat. Mishpat is the judgment, and the charity and the chesed that is done. Okay. But first, I want to tell you about the Listen carefully. This This is an amazing story, and um, it's a very important story to understand how when you do chesed and you help other people out, then Mimela, you get the chesed and you get the help back. So listen to this story. Okay. There was a new law that was um, specified in Russia. Okay, this goes back many, many years. And the law in Russia was that any distiller of brewers of beer and whiskey had to pay a very big tax according to the sales that they made in their distillery. Now, in order to determine the sales that the government, that the person had in order (coughs) to pay the taxes... So the government basically instilled meters, and the meters were in the factory, and that sort of processed uh, how much liquid came out, and they would know how much they sold, and they would know how much had to go to the government, the government would come and check every so often, and this was the new law in Russia, and it was a very serious law, the Russians took it very seriously, and it was a very scary law, if you were, you know, found not keeping this law, the punishment was unspeakable. There was a Yid in Russia, his name was Rupshmol. And he owned a very large distillery of beer and whiskey. He was a very, very honest person. A real El Chayid, an honest person. Okay? He made no attempt ever to tamper with the meter. He installed it. He kept it that way. He made sure to write everything down. Everything was legitimate by him. Amongst his workers was a guy who was unfortunately not very trustworthy. And he figured out that there was a small hole that he was able to take the beer and the whiskey from the barrel without it going through the regular faucet, the regular tap, which means it bypassed the meter, which means he was able to use it without the government knowing that it even came out because it never went through their system. It came out a different way. Okay? So this guy, this worker in the, in the factory, figured out this is the way to do it. And this way I'll be able to take beer and whiskey home. Nobody will know about it. Not the owner, not the government. They won't have to pay taxes on it. This is Kvaldik. This is amazing. So he continued doing so. And every so often he'd take a little bottle and he'd put it in, you know, in his waistcoat, whatever. And he'd walk out with it. No one would know about it. And it continued for a number of weeks. And he would have continued for a lot longer. But another worker noticed that he was doing this. And caught him, so to speak. But he was another worker. And he said, I'm going to report you to the boss, Rip Shmuel. You're not allowed to do that. Who knows what you're, you're causing him a big loss. You're stealing, whatever it may be. So he said to the guy, listen, I'm going to report you to Rip Shmuel, the owner, unless I become a partner in your business. And I'll also take bottles of wine, of whiskey and, and beer. And no one will know about it. And this way, we'll be partners in this wonderful, you know, endeavor. So the guy's I had no choice. He said, sure, no problem. Obviously, he told him the rules. Keep it quiet, whatever. Now, this also would have continued for a long time. Until eventually, 
they became in, they they got into an argument these two workers about the distribution fairness. Now, you're getting more, I'm getting less. It's not fair. What's going on? Each one accused the other one of cheating, and then one of them went to the authorities. The police swooped down on the distillery and arrested the other one, and they said it's not us. Our employer. Our boss, Reb Shmuel, he made us steal it so that he could bypass the meter, gain extra profits for himself. That's what the worker said. Now, the policeman obviously believed the man, freed him, went to go and arrest Reb Shmuel, who was the owner of the distillery, and they charged him with tax evasion, which in Russia was a very, very, very serious crime. The punishment was generally exile for many, many years in a labor camp in Siberia. They confiscated his property. They didn't know what to do. Shmuel was stuck in a prison somewhere awaiting his sentence. And the family tried to do everything they could to prove his innocence. And all they managed to do was provide a big money to get him to be on bail until his court case, until his actual judgment, and then the passing of whatever his <coughs> judgment would be. Now, Shmuel was released. He went running to the Lubavitcher Rebbe. I need to figure out what to do. I need a brocha, I need the Eitzah, I need Siyat Deshmaya, I need something, because in a few weeks I'm going to be having my trial, and then who knows what they're going to find me guilty of. This is Russia, after all. They're not going to believe me against two of my workers who are going to claim that I'm the one that got them to steal. So he gets to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and there's a huge line waiting outside the Rebbe's chamber. The Gaba said, listen, I just want to let you know, it's going to be a few days until you get into the Lubavitcher Rebbe. He said, I don't have this time. I don't have long. I need to prepare for my trial. I've got stuff to do. I can't just be here for a few days. So he started telling the Gabba the whole story. Started telling the Gabba the whole situation and what could happen to him. And the Gabba obviously naturally was moved by the story. Who wouldn't be? And he said, okay, no problem. Come back tomorrow morning. I'll get you into the Rebbe. No problem. He stayed up the whole night. He was saying to him, he was crying. He was, he was much emotional. Again, who knows what his future was going to hold? Who knows what's going to be with his family? Normally in Russia, if you're taken away, you'll never be heard from again. So he stayed up the whole night. By the time he got into the Lubavitcher Rebbe the next morning, he was exhausted. <laughs> he was emotionally drained. He could barely speak. The Rebbe managed to, you know, kvetch out. He managed to squeeze out the story from him and finally got the whole case over there and the consequences of the trial and everything. He said, Rebbe, I'm dealing with dishonest workers. They've, they've, they've put, it framed me. There's, I, I've been the honest person. What's going to be? Where's my help going to come from? Right, Pastor Container. Where's my help going to come from? The Rebbe was quiet, and the Rebbe said, listen here, I'm going to give you an answer. If you meet another Yid who uses the same expression you just used, my where's my help going to come from? Help him in any way possible, and when you help him, you yourself will be helped. So Shmuel held the help, you know, you heard that, he's like, wow, this is Gavaldic. I almost have like a promise from the Rebbe that everything's going to be okay. This is Gavaldic. So he left, he thanked the Rebbe, he went home, and then when he, when he came home, this was the first time he w- was seen in his hometown after being caught, and everyone heard the news, he was given a hero's welcome, everyone was so excited, everyone escorted him, and everyone was you know, wishing him well, and hoping that everything would go good, and everything good. When he finally got to his home, they told him the news about his best friend, Reb Chaim. He had a good friend, Reb Chaim, who owned a very, very large restaurant right near the river in town. And Reb Chaim suffered a terrible misfortune. There was a fire. No one knows who started the fire, but there was a fire in his restaurant. It burnt everything down. 
he has nothing left. His fortune, his home was there, his parnosa was there, he had nothing. And Rabshun was so upset for his friend, he went running over. He knew where he lived, he went running over. And when he was there, he saw his friend Rabchaim just, just on the floor crying, right by the rubble, right by the ashes, right by the smoke which was still going there. He said, this is my home, this is my restaurant, I built this with my own two hands. This was everything to me. And he was trying to give him chizuk. And Rebbe was trying to give his friend Rebbe Shmuel chizuk. Don't worry, Mitzvah Hashem, you're going to have Siyad Hashem. You'll get out free. You'll be found innocent, whatever it is. So um, Shmuel says to Rebbe Chaim, he says, listen, my dear friend, you're, you're a good friend of mine. You've been my friend for years. Tell me something. How much money do you need to do your restaurant? Now, why did he say that? Because a moment before, Rebbe Chaim was telling over the whole situation and he was saying, I've got a restaurant, I've got no panosa now, I've got no home now. Mine, your Ezri! Where's my home going to come from? Oh, Rabbi Shmuel heard the words. He's like, hold on a minute, magic words. You just said, Mine, your Ezri. The Rebbe told me that if I hit anyone with those words, I've got to help him. He said, Rabbi how much do you need? What do you need to build your house, to build your restaurant, to build your business again? Rabbi says, What are you crazy? Are you cra- I know you have your own problems, you have your own issues, you've got to hire lawyers, you've got to be busy with your own court case. What are you doing helping me? He says, Trust me, I want to help you. What do you need? How much money do you need in order to get your business up and running? He mentioned a sum which was an absolute fortune. Rishmol said, leave it to me. Give me a day. He went home. He collected the funds. He had a lot of money from his distillery that he managed to take back with him. He came to Prime and gave him the money. A fresh Rabbi says, what are you crazy? You can't do this. you got your own situation. How can I take the money from you? He said, take it from your good friend of mine. I want you to build up your business. I want you to build your panasa. So he did so. That's what happens. And he was very happy with Shmuel that ha- that happened because again, from the from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, he got this uh, wonderful uh, you know situation. Okay, time passed, and the time of judgment arrived, and Shmuel's time to go to court came, and there he is. He's in the courtroom over there, and um, he's shown to the defendant's bench. And in the visitors' gallery, gallery opposite the judge and the jury, sat all his friends, his relatives that were crying, saying to him, "Give him chizuk, whatever could do, hoping and davening that the outcome of the trial would be a positive, would be a good one." The judge banged down on the gavel, and the case began. Witnesses got up one after the other. The, you know, among them were the two workers that falsely accused the employer, and they said. We knew that our boss was dishonest for a long time and he made us take it and he made us be together with him so that he, they would, I, we would get caught and not him. And he threatened that to fire us if we dare say anything. So what choice did we have? And they gave a very, very compelling and good argument to show that <laughs> we are innocent. It's Shmuel. It's the boss who made us do it. What's it going to do with us? Okay. After the witnesses for the prosecution had all testified, the prosecuting lawyer got up to sum up the case. And he said, My dear judge and jury, before us, we have an evil criminal who took advantage of innocent workers to deceive the Russian government. I demand justice in this court. I demand that the jury bring forth a verdict of guilty and punish him to the full severity of the law. You can imagine in Russia, to uphold the laws is a very big thing. And this man was dishonest against the Russian rules. And here's this poor Yid over there. Everyone's talking badly against him. He doesn't know what to do. They allowed him a few moments to say something before the jury went to their room in order to discuss and puskin the verdict. So Shmuel arose to say a few words. He looked at the jurors. These are the men that his whole fate is dependent on. And it looked like their faces 
were just, you know, reflected the poison that the prosecution had just planted in their hearts. They were so evil against him. Here's a Jew who's taking advantages of his non-Jewish innocent workers, trying to deceive the Russian government. Oh, we're going to give him what he deserves. You could see it on their face, Rip Shmuel. He was petrified. He didn't know what to do. So what he did is he got up and he said a few words. He said, listen, I'm innocent. I'm not to blame. I've been a victim of a frame-up, a false liable. I have never taken a penny from anyone in my life. I never cheated or deceived anyone. Please believe me. And with that, he fell back in exhaustion, in emotional exhaustion, in back into his bench and started to cry. Now it was the judge's turn. The judge gets the last word right before the jury goes out and decides the verdict. The judge's turn is to sum up the case in order just to make everyone clear with the clarity of what's going on. And it was his duty to clear up all the points and from either side. And he said like this. He said, what remains now is to decide whom to believe. The Jew sitting before us or the two employees who themselves admitted that they were accomplices to the crime. But before you retire and before you make your decision, I'd like to tell you a short story. Listen to this. Everyone was turned towards the judge. Everyone's curiosity was aroused. What's what's he saying? What story is he going to say about this case? And he started as follows. A young man came from an aristocratic family, a very hush of a family, set out on a long journey to seek his fortune. He traveled by train. And when he reached the destination, he discovered that the suitcase with his papers and his money had all been stolen. He has nothing, absolutely nothing. He got off the train. With nothing. Not a possession. Not a penny. He didn't even have a return ticket. He hopelessly just roamed around the train station having no idea what to do. He was starving. He had nothing to buy money. No one was going to help him. What was he meant to do? No one took notice of him and was busy running on trains. When it came night, he had nowhere to go. Nowhere to sleep. So he just lay down on one of the benches and went to sleep. The next morning he woke up. It wasn't any better. He was even more starving. He had no idea where to go. had no idea who could help him. And... He decided he's going to start begging for a ticket. And as he decided that, a young man came over to him. It was a businessman. A businessman who got off the train, who noticed a young guy helplessly lying on a bench. And he noticed that he was by himself. And he went over to him and said, excuse me, sir, would you like to join me for a cup of coffee? The boy says, well, really? You're going to give me a cup? He said, yeah, I see that you could do with a cup of coffee. So he says, yeah, please. So he takes him to a nearby restaurant. And he gave him a meal, and he gave him a suda. He hadn't eaten for, for hours. He was so excited. Finally, he told him the whole story. He explained to him, I come from such a family. I came with money and papers, and everything got stolen from me. I've got nowhere to go, nowhere to do. It's a terrible thing to do. Without hesitating, this businessman took out dollar bills and bought him a ticket and gave him money for pocket money to spend as well. The young man said, wow, why would you do this for me? I want to thank you. Give me your name. Give me your address. My family have a lot of money. They can repay you. They can do whatever you need. He said, no, I don't want to be repaid. I see that you needed help, and I gave you help. Said the judge, many years have passed since that day. The young man grew into an adult, and he turned into law. And he is none other than myself, seated here before you. And you must be wondering, who is the angel of mercy who helped me without knowing who I am? Let me tell you, it was the man sitting in front of you, Rip Schmall, the owner of the distillery. The judge paused and he said, I have searched and searched for my benefactor for many, many years. I wanted to repay my debt to him. 
And I, I, as I wandered around, dejected in that train station, hundreds and hundreds of people passed by and ignored me. But one Jewish businessman took an interest in me and helped me in a time of need. When he was brought to the courtroom today, I suddenly automatically recognized him. Now let me ask you, Jury, is such a noble character able to cheat and deceive so many people? Absolutely not. He's not a liar. He's not a thief. Before you reach your verdict, put my personal character reference into account. Understand who the Rib Shmuel is in front of you. Obviously, at that time, the judge went and they came back and they, they got him. They decided and the verdict was obviously to be innocent. Rib Shmuel sat on the bench stunned. He couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. Years ago, he had done a chesed for someone. And years later, it came to help him. And that's what Dafto is telling us over here. A tzedakah never gets forgotten. When you do a chesed, when you help another yid, that will forever <coughs> and eternally always be remembered by the Rebbein for sure. But even in this world, it can come back and help us as well. What an incredible story. A <laughs>